Welcome to the Wordy Pair Podcast, your go-to hub for all things writing, world building, and the occasional dive into the weird and wonderful world of fiction. We're breaking down the barriers between you and your next great story. Whether you're a seasoned scribe or just scribbling your first sentences, we've got something for you. We'll be discussing everything from crafting compelling characters to dissecting the good, the bad, and the downright bizarre in the world of fiction. Okay, this script says you guys are eccentric. Isn't that just a three-syllable word for weird no offense so whether you're in need of inspiration a good laugh or just a couple of weirdos to keep you company on your writing journey you're in the right place thanks for tuning in to the wordy pair podcast Okay, well, welcome to the sixth episode of the Wordy Pair Podcast. Are we on six already? Um, yes, we are. We're on six. All right. And uh, today we're going to start off with a discussion of the topic of distractions and how to deal with them. So what you do is you get your gun. I mean, it has to be high, you know, pick a caliber that starts with a four. <laughs> start no, with but dog. Seriously. Move your way up from there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I mean, but seriously, it's very easy to get distracted when you're writing, to, to have your attention drawn away elsewhere. And uh, I just figured we would kind of discuss different ways that we try to reduce those distractions or, you know, get rid of them in our writing purposes. Like, you just you just have like a bizarre, a bizarre uh, sleep schedule, right? So that, that probably helps a lot. Yeah, my sleep schedule helps a ton because I am up when the rest of the world is asleep, so I can literally have zero distraction if I so choose. However, yeah. I don't do most of my writing during those hours. I used to. It seems like I'm doing most of my writing right when I get home from work now. Okay, and why is that? Because I've come to the conclusion that I am just not a morning person. And when I come home from work, I usually stay up and read or do something for a little while before I can get myself to go to sleep. And so what I was trying to do for the longest time, I would wake up and try to at least get a half hour to an hour of writing in before I get myself prepared and go to work. And I was always so groggy at the computer that I was having lines come out poorly and having to go back and rewrite and just not sure what I wanted to write. You get really indecisive when you're tired. It's just like, you're sitting there fumbling over a line in your head for way too long, and it's just like, mm-hmm, uh, this mm-hmm. this is not the way to do this. You need like three cups of coffee to get rolling before you can really get your brain working. And I was just like, you know what? I come home from work and I am basically in like prime writing mode. I get more done in a half hour after work than I could get done in two hours after waking up. So so that's one way you can deal with it is is like try to arrange your time around when you can write your best because it's it's not just a matter of it's not just a matter of like writing your best it's a matter of you're more efficient when you're awake at the task. Yeah. You don't want to be slumping forward on your keyboard every 5 seconds and then looking up and like oh I only wrote one sentence and it was it was it was a sentence that was generated by my forehead hitting the keyboard. Yeah, it always reminds me of that I was, uh, one time in college, I was taking notes for something, and mm-hmm. I'm 
I'm half asleep in the class because I was doing long hours. And in the in the middle of the class, my head kept you know falling forward. I kept falling asleep. And at one point, I woke up and I, I knew that I'd been writing something. I knew that I'd been taking notes. And I looked yeah. down at my notebook and underneath some uh, underneath some kind of schematic that I was doing in my engineering class, I had I had taken taken these notes. And then there was just this little scribble on one line that said, good disguise. And I have no idea why. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. But yeah, there's uh, y- you want you want to be awake for writing. Like a lot of people will be like, ah, oh, you should work even if you're tired. And that works great for like labor. Like if you're if you're doing what I do for a living and putting boxes up on shelves somewhere, or if you're like running a machine or something that you know yeah. isn't something that you're driving and going to kill someone with, being tired is not a problem because you've got work to do that will keep you awake. Writing is not work that keeps you awake. It is the exact opposite. If you are tired and you are writing, chances are you're going to be bonking your head off of that keyboard. Uh, you, that's I mean that's why all writers tend to have some kind of coffee addiction. I didn't drink coffee before I really started doing a lot of computer work, and you know the coffee doesn't help to be honest, but it uh <laughs> it gives me something to stop and pick up and keep myself awake by taking some alternate action right some kind of motion to like move your hand around basically yeah, so I find that it's very easy to distract myself when writing like it's very easy to be like, oh, I'm gonna go you know watch a YouTube video, or oh, I'm going to, you know, go uh, wash some dishes, or something like that. There's there's always there's always a, 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 a there's always a desire to not do the task that I have set before myself. I don't know if you have the same problem. It, it depends on what work I've done recently. So I know a lot of people have said they've ha- they have that problem. I will have the problem where once in a while, my goal is to sit down and write. And I usually don't let things like Twitter or YouTube distract me, but there's every once in a while I'm just like, I, I know I want to write this thing, but there's a gap between when that has to happen and this and when this other last thing happened. And mm-hmm. I don't want to just fill it with crap to get to that point. So I'll go on the internet and just see if I see anything that makes me think of something to write for that. And sometimes I start doing that and I forget that was my goal. So yeah. so that'll happen with me. But if if you have the trouble where you find yourself like uh getting distracted where you, you you like think, "Oh, I need to check something real quick while while you're working." Uh especially when it comes to YouTube. Like if you can't sit in front of a computer and type, which is my favorite way to write. I I don't like writing as much in notebooks as I do on a computer because I didn't learn to type for nothing and mm-hmm. typing is something that I've always liked doing. You know, I used to program and things, and being able to type just made that a lot more relaxing. So writing for me is more fun at a computer. But if you if you find you're one of those people that just can't get away from YouTube or Twitter or anything, the first thing you should try is going to a desk with no electronics, with a pen and a notebook, and just writing in a notebook. And then when you get what you want to write finished on paper you take your notebook to your desk and and i'm only recommending this for people that can actually type because this is a very slow process if you Mm -hmm, if you mm -hmm. can't type but you know type up what you wrote so that 
you are looking at another thing, a piece of paper that you've already written on, and doing your typing, where you have to focus on that to be able to get it done. And that gives you a clear goal in front of you where it's like, I'm going to finish this page, and then there's another page, and I'm going to finish that page. And so at the very least, if you're getting distracted, you're like, okay, I'll wait to finish this page before I go look at my email or whatever. You know, you, you've, you've got to just set yourself these little, uh, little like, barriers to getting distra distracted if you're the type of person that is constantly getting distracted. Yeah, I mean, you, there's... One way, I was going to say kind of the same thing that you said. If if you have trouble resisting the urge to you know click on YouTube and play a video or watch a video or something like that, physically moving yourself to a place where th those things are not is the is the, is a good way to because even if you even if you don't write that way, it can get you into a mindset where you're not thinking about clicking on things and watching videos. So like I will I will actually. Um, even if I don't intend to write, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll move my, I'll go sit in a different chair without any electronics and just read for 10 minutes. And reading for 10 minutes will get me into a, into a, like a writing, a writing mood, basically. And then when I get back to the chair with the computer, it, it's easier for me to just, you know, I can like, I can open the word processing thing and leave that open as I walk away and do my reading and then come back. And now all I have open is this window and now I have things to write and I'm in a, in a more of a, you know, the right mindset to write. I'm not, I don't have distractions in, in my brain at that point because I've, I've cut that all out for a few minutes and quieted things down, basically. Yeah, and, and it's especially true if, you know, if, you, if you're trying to do writing professionally, you know, you, you want to get into that mindset of treating it like a job. You know, most people yes. are like, well, I don't want my hobby or anything to feel like a job. Well, that's fine if it's just a hobby. But if you want it to be a job, treat it like a job. But treat it like a job that you love. Well, so it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I've been finding that measuring my progress in, in some way has been uh, helpful in the last month or two of making sure that I actually get things done. Because it's very easy to feel like you sat down and got some writing done, but then when you actually count like the number of words that you wrote, you're like, oh, I only wrote 800 words, and also they weren't particularly good words, and also... That only took me like forty minutes, and then you know I, I I wandered off and did something else. I mean I I have I have a lot of issues with like chores getting in the way. We're like, oh I should I should make lunch. I should I should go empty out the dishwasher. I should go clean up this thing that I've been meaning to clean up, and and so I can get distracted that way as well. So, um, one thing that kind of helps me out there sometimes is like setting a timer. You know, sitting down and saying, okay, here's the here's the screen. I'm going to write for. 40 minutes. I'm going to try to get a thousand words down, 40 minutes, reasonable to do. Uh, and then, you know, once that 40 minutes is up, I can go do something for 10 minutes, come back, set the timer again, uh, go for another 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Because you, you really do want to try to get, like, one of the things, and I've mentioned this in early, earlier episodes, but one of the things that ha I've learned, or, or one of the things that feels wrong about writing is doing things that help you write more, like outlining or brainstorming or even reading. So, like, you don't want to necessarily try to write for eight hours a day, but you do want to try to write for, say, three or four hours a day, maybe a little less than that, um, depending on what you're doing. But then that other time, that the rest of that, you know, quote-unquote eight-hour chunk, you can take up with other things that help you write more later. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's 
So like to give an example of uh, what you mean there is, you know, I will, I, I like cartoons, so I will go and watch some anime and every once in a while I will see something that's like, that, that makes me think, oh, that's a good idea. I want to incorporate that into a story somehow. And I've actually, I, I, we talked about this like twice now, but I've taken a lot of different ideas from different anime to make the stories I wrote. And, you know, same with books. It's like I read a book and I read a mystery or something. It's like, oh, I want to write something similar to that. So I, you know, I come up with a character to do that with or, you know, I come up with a setting or some kind of idea for how I want to uh, make a story play out. And then I sit down and do it. I don't I don't just sit at my computer with the word processor open and come up with the story. Usually by the time I sat down, I've already come across something that's given me an idea or... Oh, okay, so uh, I'll use a recent one. I was on... Uh, I believe it was... So, yeah, even Twitter. I was on Twitter. <laughs> you can use Twitter for, for some good in this world. Mm -hmm. And someone had mentioned how disappointed they were in... I think it was Marvel Comics or... I, th I think it might have been X-Men or something where it was like, oh, well, it's a world where mutants... They they die, but then they come back to life immediately. They're basically immortal, and so you know there's it's not a good story because nothing bad can ever happen. And mm -hmm. I thought about it for approximately two seconds, and I said, "Oh, I have a way to make that good." I haven't actually written that yet. I have to. I'm finishing a short story now, and then I'm going to write this. But here's 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 the premise of it. So you have a group of people that are immortal. So there doesn't really seem to be anything that you can do to make that interesting because there's no, you know, the bad guys can't permanently finish them off. So, you know, what? how can you invest in that? Well, it's very simple. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a dozen ways to do it. The way I came up with was every time one of them dies, they lose all of their memories. And there is a, they have like, you know, various headquarters throughout whatever this world is that they're in where all of the things that they did before they were killed, are recorded so that when they come back to life, they can see what they'd done and know who they were. And that, you know, naturally opens the door for some villain to mess with the records or completely take the thing over and have everyone confused about what's really going on. Or even just, like, start providing information that, that causes them to basically work for him. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was just like, just like two seconds of sitting on Twitter and seeing something that someone said was a really, really bad idea, which the way it was being done, I guess, really was a bad idea. Because, again, it's just like, if everyone just is, if there's no stakes, if if your hero can die and you know they're going to come back three comics later, as if nothing changed, it, there's yeah. there's nothing interesting there. But if they can die and come back and everything can be different in that universe for them... That's a totally different story. Or or even that, like, they become a different character because they've been given faulty information. Yeah, they can be manipulated into being villains or good guys. And so now you have, like, a, a population question where, like, what is the population of good guys? What is the population of bad guys? And as they fight, these populations move back and forth. And, and not only that, but what's real and what isn't. There. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Like, how much of or the you, history... You, you, could even do, you could even do unreliable narrator stuff with that. That could be fun. Yeah, and... Uh... It, it, it's just this this was not like five hours of trying to figure this out this was just like i just need one idea that would make sense to make make a th setting like this work and it was just like oh well what if they just don't remember when they die that was it it's just like yeah. you know a couple seconds of sitting down and bam you've got a whole story idea so the distractions can be good 
You don't want to burn yourself out writing. You don't want to be sitting there staring at a page and be like, I have nothing for what comes next. Usually the minute you hit that point, you need to go out and, like, get a meal or Do watch a else. television yeah. program or read a book or, God forbid, go out and uh, watch new movies. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> go walk the dog. Go play Go play with... Uh... Play with the dog or something like that. Go on Twitter and see what people are being angry about and try to find a reason to <laughs> make it make it something that people shouldn't be angry about. That that always goes over well. Oh yeah, that totally works out all the time. Start a podcast where you make every single person who likes Harry Potter hate you. Also, yes. Oh, and if we're on the subject of distractions, I, I know this uh -huh. isn't going to apply anymore because now that we've said in a previous podcast that we're not the biggest Harry Potter fans, we've we've eliminated like 50% of possible uh, listenership. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the ones that left are the bad ones, people. The one, they're, they're, you're, you're the good ones. The ones who stayed. Yeah. You're, you're good. <laughs> J.K. Rowling, uh, according to what I, I heard, I can't remember if this was from an interview she did or if it was just something she put online, but I remember that the story kind of went that she was, like, trying to write and raising kids and, you know, you know, taking care of all these chores and things. I don't remember if she was working a job or not. I think she was working, but... Yeah. She she said that, you know, one of the ways that she was able to get it done was by kind of living in a, in, in a trash heap for a while. Like, you know, she would not always do chores on time, and her house was a little bit well, messy, well, but she just well, had to well, put so, up with that so she could get the book done. So the, the thing about that, that that I think I find interesting is that, like procrastination can cut both ways in the sense that like you can you can procrastinate by just doing nothing but you can also procrastinate from writing by doing other things that you think are urgent and so one of the things that you can do to help is to set deadlines for yourself or at least set goals right so the last few days i finished the first draft of a novella that i'm working on and i gave myself specific goals of how many pages i was going to edit each day and then once I edited that number of pages, I could go on to a different task. But that, that, was, my, that was my highest priority task for the day, for instance. So it, it's, it's important to remember that even if you didn't set a timeline for yourself, that writing is still a priority. But if you, can, if you can trick yourself into believing that writing is more of a priority than it feels like otherwise, then you're halfway there. Yeah, you, you've got to set those priorities, and you got to make sure that they uh, they are they're in the proper order too. Like, okay, so you want and and and, and don't don't overextend yourself too. Like, set set reasonable priorities and then gradually turn them up. Yeah, like 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 a reasonable priority, kind of like you know, number one, writing three pages. Number two, yeah. dealing with house fires. Number three, <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's Dialing that's kind of numbers. the thing though. Is like sometimes, so so every once in a while, I have to clear off my whole desk of cups because I will bring in a coffee cup and I will do something at my desk, and then I will forget the coffee cup <laughs> is there, and I will go to work, and I will go to sit down and write at my desk the next day with a new coffee cup, and I'll be like, oh, it's my old coffee cup. I'll do this like three or four days in a row, and then there will just be four cups on my desk. It's like, okay, I got to get these cups off my desk. Hello, coffee, my old friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would imagine that gets pretty rank eventually if you have any cream in your coffee. Well, uh, they're usually empty glasses, and I I, hope so. I don't put cream in my coffee, so I never have that problem. But yeah, there's... mainline that st stuff right into the right into the vein on my arm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, most of Did the time it cup, starts as a coffee IV. cup and it ends up as a glass of water because you can only drink so much coffee in a day. Uh, that's fair. Or so they say. <laughs> so doctors say. 
Yes, finger the the, the air quotes doctors. <laughs> you can hear the finger quotes. Yeah. I, I hope. There's also uh, there's also the the before and after of writing. Like the after doesn't matter too much in this scenario, but like before. Okay, so so here's what happens to a lot of people. They they wake up. They're like, I'm going to get some writing done today, and they're like, All right, what am I going to write? And they're they're running they're running stuff through their head like. Like, okay, well, I'm going to do these five things first, and then I'll get to it. And the whole time they're doing the other five things, they're thinking, okay, well, what am I going to start with? Then they finally sit down at their computer, and they're like, uh, I don't really know what to do. And and they a lot of times they call this writer's block. So I'm going to give the absolute best piece of advice I know for dealing with this. When that happens, sit at your computer and just start writing anything. Make it related to, you know, what it is that you want to write, but just start writing anything. Just where, wherever you can think to start something. It doesn't matter how stupid or boring it is. And you, I, I feel like a lot of people would find if they did this, they would just suddenly latch on to, to something where it's like, oh, this is, this is a good launching point. And you'll, you'll get like a whole page done that way and be like, Oh yeah, I'm kind of in the groove now. Like, like it's almost like starting an engine. You have to get you have to get it going, and you know it'll, it'll give you that chugging start. But once it's running, it's running. It's funny that you mention this. So this technique is is referred to by people who like try to teach authors how to be authors. They call it journaling, and um, I cannot do this. It does not work for me. I sit there and I freeze up if I don't know. If I don't have some kind of a vague idea of what I'm going to write, I, I do much better staring at a blank piece of paper with a pen in my hand. And if I write brainstorming at the top of it, I don't even have to write complete sentences. And then that kind of frees me up a little bit. And I can always crumple it up and throw away if I don't like it. But like, I can't, I can't sit in front of a word processor and not type in like complete sentences and stuff like that. It just doesn't really work. I don't know. I don't know why. It's like a mental thing. I've I've tried it a couple of times. It just I freeze up. Well, I can explain I don't know. that. Have for you seen you. that? This advice applies to people who. So so you write very well structured and polished works. Like like everything you write comes out crisp and clean, and you have a very. You're much more methodical than. Uh, than I am. But even so, I feel like I should be able to do this. But I've tried it, and it just. Like I just I like I like it's a like a like it's um like I get a deer in headlights thing going on. It's very strange. Well, yeah, but but you consistently put things out still is the thing. Like like even if you even if you have those that problem where it's like you can't sit there and just start writing and come up with something. That's like that's not a bad thing. This advice applies really well to anyone who's like me who will start writing a sentence and midway through the sentence realize that you have a much better idea for where you want that character to go, and you will start changing that sentence in mid-sentence. This is for the manic psychopaths that <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that that kind of write like everything is burning down around them, and they're just trying to grab the things that are surviving in the best condition. I see. That's a very interesting metaphor. <laughs> I don't like it too much because it has an upper limit, whereas it, whereas it should have a lower limit. Like the things that are in uh -huh. good condition, the the idea behind that metaphor is that they can all degrade, which I think is backwards. Like, like the things that you're saving from the burning fire are actually the things that can be better than everything else. And the burning fire is an important part of the metaphor because once you get the good thing, 
you've got to like be willing to shake off all the other things, no matter how much you wanted them in the story. It's like, if it doesn't work, just let it go. You've got a better thing now. You can always write a completely different story with completely different characters and use that idea again. Well, so there's a point there that I think is interesting is don't be afraid to throw things away. Like you might have spent an hour on it, but it's better to it's better to recognize that it's not working and cut your losses than to get into that sunk cost fallacy and just spend hours and hours and hours trying to polish something that is will always be a mud pie. Yeah. Yeah, you I I think out of all the writing I've done, I've probably thrown away 95% of everything I've ever written. Yeah, I mean... Which is more than you should, by the way. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe... I, I, what's the... Um, there's, um, there's like an old adage that what that is like 95% of everything is crap. And so you threw away all the crap. <laughs> Not all of it. I, I kept some of the crap. Well, I guess. I realized recently that there's a that there's very like there's like fetishy undertones to some of the stuff I was writing without me intending for that to happen. <laughs> oh no! So like uh, I I have this scene in a book that I'm trying to finish, but I keep writing other books instead. Uh, yeah. There, there's a you you know the one. It's the the Ebrolina story. And, sure. you know, she's she's going up against all these different magical problems throughout this story. And she comes to a witch who's like, th- in my head, the joke was the witch is like baby crazy. And so she's, uh, she tries to make Ibralina think that she's a kid so that she can distract her and just keep her in her cottage. And the, mo- the further I got in writing it, it was like, <laughs> I-, I got finished with it. And all of a sudden I was like, this is a, this is a baby fetish thing. <laughs> and it was this worse. crossed a line somewhere and i'm not sure where <laughs> well, well i wanted i wanted the character she was fighting to be a, a character that was uh recurring in other stories so that i could keep sure. using this joke where, where like everyone was just horrified by her and wanted to avoid her because of this i mean that makes sense yeah because i love it when they do stuff like that in anime where someone's just like totally weird and everyone's just like yeah, yeah i mean we're cool with them but we try to like hide behind the wall when she walks into the room <laughs> yeah but, but it was it was worse than that because i had done <laughs> the same joke several times in two books we're like okay so so in one of my books i made a joke about the spacesuits that one of the characters was wearing and how they're kind of self cleaning because she get it's a horror book, so she takes a bit of a scare, and the joke is yeah. that the person that is on the spaceship monitoring her tells her that she's soiled her suit three times since this all started, and she had no idea that the suit actually tracked when that happened. Right. <laughs> so, so that was the joke. And then I made a similar joke about the character being so scared in another book that she, she she kept comment, commenting things like, don't drink coffee right before encountering vampires in a graveyard. Direct correlation to bladder problems. And I actually realized towards the end of that book that I had done that not only twice in that book, but that one time in the previous book. And, I was, and so I made the comment in the book where the character was like, I'm going to stop making this joke. It's starting to sound like I have a fetish now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there's, uh, there's things like that that they they both come off as complete crap and solid gold when I think back on them. So so lesson lesson two is read the things that you've written after you've written them. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I I mean some of the jokes were so I had let's see what's a good one. I'm trying to think of a a good one for 
Yes. Okay. So I have a succubus in another story. Sure. And the the, the this one is like a purposely fetishy joke where one of the characters says something about you know getting angry at the succubus and putting her under her heel or something, and the succubus is just like, oh, I didn't know you were into that, and that just like you know just th- throwing a fun joke like that in there. Sure. And. <laughs> I mean, as long as you're not as as long as you don't as long as you don't appear to be specifically focused on one particular kind of joke, it 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 doesn't reflect that badly. But like, if you just keep making the same joke over and over again, then people start asking questions. Yeah, the... and when people start asking questions, they have to die. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun to throw little jokes like that in there. I, I have like I must have done like twenty jokes like that for the various people that had to deal with the succubus in that book, and uh, yeah, it's. It's just adding adding flavor to it, making it more than just this character is a succubus. They are a drone, and they do the things I need them to do in the book. So I'm so it's going like, to question you. I'm going to question your use of the word flavor, but I'm going to let you go on. Uh, that's valid. That <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing. Don't be afraid to use fun stuff in your books, even if you're writing for a non erotica um, art. Oh. Uh, it's like <laughs> fun when you when you say funny what do you mean do you mean funny funny or like funny haha or funny uh-oh a little bit of both uh-huh. don't be afraid to combine the two once in a while like like i know there's a lot of people who uh think it's one or the other but i do not write erotica <laughs> and yeah, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's perfectly reasonable to have funny jokes like that. That is what makes movies like Airplane and Naked Gun so fun. And uh, yeah. that's that's the kind of humor I like to see in everything. You know, good good old fashioned. Yeah, the, 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 the trick is to be subtle or, or subtle enough that like people get what you're saying, but like don't you that they don't get. I mean, unless that's the joke. Like you generally want to avoid putting unwanted images in their heads, but like sometimes that's the joke too. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't, and we we managed well. Okay, so to give you an idea of how easy it is to get distracted, I started talking about succubus jokes in uh, in our discussion of getting distracted. Yes. So, where did we leave off? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think we got through a lot of the dealing with distractions. We talked about various techniques, various methods to avoid distractions, prioritizing. I mean, I think we've covered quite a bit of it, actually. Well, there is one so more I, thing I, mean, I, I want to say. Sure, go for it. If you're the per- type of person who just can't keep a steady schedule for doing things, keep a loose schedule. You don't have to keep a perfect schedule. If you're someone ah. who knows you're going to get lots of interruptions to what you're trying to do, you know, you can you can do things like, say, I'm going to write a whole page today, but sometimes you just have those days where you just got to be like, all right, I'm just going to write a paragraph. It's still progress. And if I have more time later tonight, maybe I'll write two pages. Who knows? Yeah. The days that I thought I wasn't going to get any done, anything done sometimes turned out to be the days that I wrote 5,000 words out of nowhere. You know, especially if you've been thinking about an idea for a while. And that is actually, you know, another point is if you have an idea and in your head it feels like it should be five pages, but then you sit down and you're like, what do I even write for this? Don't be afraid to make it one page. Yeah. Sometimes it just feels like it's taking up more space in the story than it really is when you think about it. Like, you visualize it, and it's like, oh yeah, this is actually going to be a really long scene. And then you realize you can boil it down to a couple of, like, 
one-liners. Three sentences and a, and a dependent clause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there's there's something there, but there's also something to be said about getting into the groove. Like, if you find yourself moving quickly and doing things that work, don't stop. Like, that's another thing. Like, if you know, oh, if, yeah. if that's the way that it works for you, don't don't stop. That's the only like, reason like, I ever got anything published. Yeah, I mean, just like getting into a getting into the right the right frame of mind, because that won't happen every day. But um, but days that do, the days that it does happen, use it for sure, because because then you can use that to kind of offset days where it really doesn't happen, and you kind of just get stuck. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had days where I've written fifteen thousand words. That's a hell of a lot of writing for a single day. Yeah, it's it's just, I, I sat down I mean, and I started and I was like, I still know where I want to go with this, so I'm just going to keep going. Right. And there's nothing there's nothing significantly on fire yet, so just keep moving. Well, remember, the fire's good. I mean, I mean, I mean literal fire, not figurative fire. And also remember that sometimes when you're writing and you feel like it's coming out crappy, that's not how other people are going to view it. Like, like get it done and then look at it. And oh, that's that's actually a really good point, yeah. And maybe even even if you still think it's crap after you've gotten it done and you've read it, like, share it with someone, see what someone else might think of it. Yeah. Because, I mean, Harry Potter made how much money? Oh, Theme they're gone. Part. They're gone again. <laughs> <laughs> So we've uh, we've gotten through thirty four minutes talking about distractions, only getting distracted once. That's I'd say that's a record. It was it was kind of an on topic distraction thing. It was like you know yeah. oh this, this I mean we are the wordy pair, so it's fine for us to go on tangents a little bit here and there to be wordy. You, yes, that was the implication of the thing that I yes, thank you. No, I must explain the joke. Explain it harder. <laughs> More explanation. So, so it's probably worth it's probably worth noting that before we started recording this episode, that I had written as a possible topic, punching it up, and and <laughs> you, and you needed a dictionary definition of what that idiom meant. Yes, so, yes, I didn't. I've never heard the term punching it up before. I've heard punching up, but that's a totally different thing. That's that's correct. I've heard punching so, it up used in terms of like typing something up and and doing it, but I've never heard it in terms of what did what did you say it was? I actually can't remember. It's like making something more flamboyant or colorful or or vivid, basically. You know, you, 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 it's 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 kind of like an editing process where, you know, you've written something and and you say this is good, but I think I could make it more exciting. And so it's trying to make something more exciting. Yeah. Okay. So this is actually this. So our distraction was a good thing because this is exactly yeah. what I was talking about with all the succubus jokes. It's it's yeah. like I had the character well, right well, there. So, okay. So so here's. I, if you don't mind, just real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I want to mention that, like, old school Simpsons, for instance, is an is a is a great example of this, where you, where each scene is literally packed with jokes, and I, and I mean literally in the sense that, like, if you looked at the script for the scene, every line has as many jokes in it as you could imagine fitting into it. So, like, and not only that, but the everything that's happening on the screen, in the backgrounds, the ways that the characters are expressing themselves, yeah, yeah, all of yeah, it yeah. plays into that. Right. But like the, the the point is that, you know, you can you can get some amazing density with comedy if you really try. People have done it. It's very hard, but people have done it. Anyway, back to your succubus jokes. I, I would no, that was basically it. It's just like, yeah, this is, you know, the idea is that you want to make everything entertain the reader as much as possible without destroying what it is you want to write. 
And right. I had a character that's a succubus, so I'm going to make jokes where people are really uncomfortable around this character, or this character is doing things that are natural to the character, but not to everyone else. And makes them uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember I wrote a little short story spin-off thing where uh, the character that can't talk, uh, <laughs> the, the joke was that the, the succubus was harassing her and another character was like, well, didn't she give you the thumbs down to tell you that she didn't want anything to do with that? And so the succubus was just like, oh, I interpreted that a whole different way. <laughs> <laughs> you are a monster, sir. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> but, like, I, I guess along the same lines, don't be afraid to cross lines. Yes, you because, have to like, if you want to make people the, laugh. Well, I mean, like, it depends. Like, you can make people laugh like Bob Hope made people laugh, but like at the same time, like don't don't put things in the over the line box until you're really sure they're over the line, and don't be afraid to push that line a little bit too, because like too many people think that like because when someone's reading it, they're just going to react to it. They're not going to like necessarily think about it, or yeah. maybe if if they are, that's not the kind of person that you want reading your stuff anyway, and then they'll go away. Yeah, it's it's important to remember that if you thought really, really deeply about the joke, the person that reads it is only going to see what you wrote. They're not going to know what your thought process was in it. So you have to make something that they can follow on paper. Yeah. You can't be too subtle. I mean, you can be too subtle, but it doesn't work more often than not. It's That's okay to be subtle, subtle if, if, you know... It it works very poorly for me. I have I have tried being subtle in a bunch of stuff, and every time it has backfired on me. I have started writing out explicitly what is what has been meant by this person's thoughts, or like like this, you know, a person makes a, a comment, and I'm like, this comment implies blah 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 blah, and then I'm like, I should probably make that like an internal dialogue, an internal monologue thing or something, because people are not going to see it. Yeah, if you want the reader to understand it, that's it's crucial. This is crucial. But like, there's also things where sometimes you're just peppering a story with things that are nice for the people who will pick up on it, but it's not important to the story, so it's okay if other people don't. I know that I know that there's a, a part in a story I wrote where the characters were based off of the dirty pair, and I kind of wanted to make that known, but I also didn't want to just outright say it. So at some point I referred to them as a sordid duo, and I had... I didn't see it. I, well, it, it was very, very subtle. It was like, I, I made a reference to the lovely angels from the Dirty Pair, and then I referred to the characters as a very sordid duo. And you you know who the Dirty Pair are, and, and you didn't pick up on it. So it's like really, Correct. really, really hidden in there. Just like just like this offhand homage that, you know, is... Well, like, it's, it's one of those things where, like, when you mentioned it to me, I was like, oh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's all it, the characters are completely different than the characters from the Dirty Pair, but sure. the setup is essentially the same. It's two girls, one which is you know the the long haired beauty who I kind of nerded up with making her a corporate princess, and the other one is a complete psychopath with lots of yeah. lots of vices and proclivities. And then the there, there's a character in Dirty Pair called Moogie. It's like their pet panther that has these, like, electric tentacles on its head that let it control a spaceship. And I created a robot engineer, or, or I created a half-man, half-robot engineer for this story 
who could essentially control the ship with all of his android parts. So, so it's like a one-to-one for what the characters represent in the story, but then the characters themselves are completely different. Which is the way you want to do that. If you, if you want to have characters that are similar to someone else's characters, you still have to make them your own character. Yes, absolutely. Because pe- people will see that a mile away. They'll be like, this is, this is just Ranma. You just copied Ranma. <laughs> this is fan fiction. <laughs> you bastard, you made me purchase fan fiction. <laughs> you can't just call him Bob and make me think he's not Goku. This is clearly Goku. Even Maurice LeBlanc made Homelock Shears a completely different character from the actual Sherlock Holmes. Kinda? I don't know. I mean... Homelock Shears was a very hammed-up Sherlock Holmes. Like, like he, there were a bunch of situations where he was stressing, like, the, the idea that Watson and Sherlock Holmes have an awkward sort of friendship where Watson is always astounded by things Sherlock Holmes does that are maybe a bit, like, not very sensitive to other people, whereas in... Uh, Maurice LeBlanc's Homelock Shears, he has him doing things like blatant, blatantly disregarding when uh, Wilson breaks an arm. He's just like, oh, well, ah. we can actually use this to help us catch our Saint Lupin and <laughs> and things like that. So he, he is he is a very different character, uh, but he still is able to do all the Sherlock Holmes deduction, which is, uh, which is why it works so well, because, you know, this is a contemporary writer of Arthur Conan Doyle. Who was kind of making fun of, making fun of him at the time for Sherlock Holmes's weird deduction abilities that were basically like superpowers. Yeah, you know he he made fun of the whole ashes in the cigarette tray thing a couple of times in the stories. Sure, I mean I think everybody makes fun of that. They do now, Rick probably Sto- because of R- Maurice Rick's- LeBlanc. <laughs> Rick Stout made fun of that, right? Yeah. Well, uh, there was that. There's uh, Saul Panzer smokes smokes pharaohs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, you know what, since we're on that subject, I know we're going to do a Nero Wolf episode, episode or several. at some point, but yeah. uh, I, I, have, I have looked and looked, and I have never seen anyone else make this connection. I've looked all over the internet, it's got to be out there somewhere. Someone else has to have seen this. But since nobody else seems to have, I'm going to put it out there on this podcast that I am convinced Saul Panzer was supposed to be a representation of Maurice LeBlanc's Arsène Lupin. And I have several reasons for thinking this. Number one is the amount of respect that Nero Wolf has for Saul Panzer. Number two, how mysterious he is compared to all the other characters in the books. Uh, his, his past is just checkered with all these strange things that he's able to do. And has done, yes. yes. And number three is Saul Panzer's name, which is, you know, Arsène Lupin was famous in his stories for making anagrams of his name that had, like, one or two letters changed, which is Saul Panzer. So I, I, I don't know how people never... I've never I, seen anyone else point this out. I don't know how, like, mystery you people have you, never you, noticed this, but... Or, yeah, interesting. You've mentioned this to me before, so this is not a surprise to me, but yeah, this is... I, have you actually looked around to see if... And you've, you haven't found anybody else making this connection? I, I think I've spent at least 10 hours on the internet trying to find someone making this connection. I've never found it. Well, then you heard it here first, folks. There's, Saul uh, Panzer, Arsene Lupin. Saul Panzer's willingness to do things that are bo- on the borderlines of uh, crime itself to, in order to get the job done for Nero Wolf. There's yeah, yeah. his worldly uh, abilities <laughs> of like flying planes and 
know, he can he can tail people well, better that, that, than Archie that, Goodwin. That's that's the first that's the first book. That's uh that's Fertilance, right? Yeah. They're like they're like they're like we have a we have a problem. This guy can this guy flies an airplane. Oh, it's fine. Saul Panzer can fly an airplane. Oh, what really? <laughs> that's the great thing about Nero Wolf. Not only could Saul not only did he he know that Saul Panzer could fly a plane and have him ready. Saul Panzer was in the air before they <laughs> before Archie knew that this guy was going to be in an airplane. Nero Wolf had already planned for it. <laughs> Well, well, well. No, they mentioned it a little bit earlier in the book because, because basically, Archie, Archie says, um, Archie's like, no, but he can always just fly away and 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 get away, and and uh, and Wolf's like, no, the sky will have eyes. Oh, what? <laughs> Saul Panzer can fly. It's been a while since I've read it. I forgot about that. I think so. I, I I'd have to double check, but I've read it recently, and that's it, it, they mention it a couple of times, and then then they mention they mention basically like yeah, Saul Panzer's up in the air above him, watching him, tailing him as he flies, and he's like, they're like, oh yeah, he can he can even do some like mild stunts and stuff too. Okay. Um, yeah, there, there's you know, like... they have a description. They have a description of the things inside Saul Panzer's like living room, and like it's like each of these objects has a story behind it. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, if this were reality, but like the stories were never told. Well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I went back and and read that description, and some of the items were things that are that are Saint Lupin had stolen in some of the books. Oh, that's a well. So, like, he has a grand piano. He has walrus tusks. He has. I don't know. Uh, it, it would be an interesting study to to like go through the the wolf books and find the things that Saul Panzer has and does. And go through the Arsene Lupin books and find the things that Lupin says and does, and, and kind of make a a Venn diagram of 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 them or something like that. Yeah, because there's yeah, there's no doubt that I mean, you know, I used to think that Nero Wolf himself was based off of Mycroft Holmes because yeah. it, it kind of fit Mycroft's character, where it's like he doesn't want to be the one to do the work, but he's technically smarter than Sherlock Holmes. Right. Uh, I guess I was wrong about that. Apparently, he had based Nero Wolf off of the later stories of Sherlock Holmes where he was older and grouchier. I forget exactly well, it, what stories. It could have it could it could have been a multiple. Well, no, I, th- I think he thing. said this in an interview. I think I think he said oh, that he okay. he would he had based Nero Wolf off of the later Sherlock Holmes when he was a bit more curmudgeon-y. I see. But there's the the Nero Wolf stories are uh they're just full of very good mystery like references and a lot of very good original mystery storytelling. I mean, they're my favorite mystery books now. Yeah. So I was going to mention something while we were still talking about um punching it up. And it is that So 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 I I I assume that you probably have done this before, but like I found for instance that I had written like a, you know, a, a, a an idea for where I wanted the story to go. And I felt like there's just not enough going on in in this story here. And so, like, I basically did, like, I guess you could call it, like, an S-curve in the plot. Where something happens, pushes them in a different direction, uh, forces them to to adapt. And then, you know, know, 6,000 words later, they're kind of back on track to where they were before the S-curve happened. And it was, like, one of those things where I kind of transplanted it into the story. And, you know, I had to make it work, obviously. But, like, it, it, you know... That kind of thing can help make the story more complex and interesting for people to watch, as opposed to like people doing things that that you think they would do, but then like 
like there's a I don't know I'm I'm rambling here but you know there there's there's it's important to make both the 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 characters and the antagonists intelligent you know so like if you you can figure out that they've done oh they made a mistake here or they they did this thing here why did they do this thing here I'm anyway a- 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 adding more things to stories can punch them up that, that that's obvious but like but like I guess the point is is that you don't need to change the direction of the story. You can you can cut it somewhere, add things in the middle that lead you to the same place where you had it before, but with some things happening in the middle that make things more interesting, more complicated. So this is basically how I write everything, and this is what I'm going to recommend to anyone that wants to really nail that skill. Okay. I, I have zero trouble if I come up with an idea I want to add in a story of fitting that idea into the story. And the reason is, every time that I want to do something like that, I will start writing the new thing, and I will, on the fly, you you know, try to come up with with the, with reasonable to great expectations, or not expectations, uh, reasonable to great reasons why all Mm -hmm. of this is in the story, like why it all fits together. So it's it's like the dead end problem. If you, people talk about writing yourself into a corner. If you found you've written yourself into a corner, do not make your first instinct to be to go back and just redo everything. Look at where you are in the story and say, is there a, a reasonable way that this is not a corner? Is there something that works in the world I have built? Like, obviously, if you're writing a detective story, you don't want to suddenly introduce time travel just to explain something. Unless right. you're writing a time travel story that is also a mystery. You don't want to do that. But you should, at the very least, if you find you've written yourself into corner, as an exercise to get really good at not writing yourself into corners. If you have to, save the document, turn it off, go sit in a chair somewhere, and just think about how that's not actually a corner. Like, why? what are the reasons that it might not be a corner? Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find after doing that for a long time that Every time you think you're coming to a corner, it's just like, oh, no, actually, there's a perfectly good reason this could work. And you can see this everywhere, too. Like, if you if you look at when people write bad stories that have, like, big plot holes in them, and it's just like, well, this shouldn't work because this happened. If you go and look online to people that are talking about those moments in books, usually there will be, like, five or ten people that have explanations as to why it could have worked if the author had just explained it this way or that way. Yeah. You don't have to give up on what you're doing because you think that you've hit a wall. It's a it's a really good exercise to solve that problem. Well, that's a good point. Like you can use it as a let, let, let's say hypothetically that you that you discover at the end that that it didn't work. That it's just like no, I I do need to throw some stuff away and I do need to you know kind of back up a little bit and come come up with something else. That exercise itself is uh, a good creative kind of like drill, I guess you could call it. Yeah, and it gives you ideas for things that are coming up in the story, especially if you're writing mysteries. You're going to need a bunch of different pathways to lead the reader on to make them wonder what's going on. So if you if yeah. you write yourself into a corner early on, just keep going with it and see where you hit a point in your writing where it's like, oh, wait, I, I have an explanation for this now. I, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. I, I can't think of any examples that are... Uh, I got... It's it's tough. It's tough to do. Like like let's not let's not underestimate how difficult this can be to do and make it work out well. But like 
it, it, this is one of those things where where you're you are doing writing when you are sitting in a chair and brainstorming ideas how to get yourself out of this out of this corner and don't pretend that that isn't part of writing i guess is the is the lesson to learn from that yeah you're you're not experiencing writer's block you're still in the process you you just have yeah. to accept that it's part of the process you can't be don't be frivolous with what you've written especially if you've written something good you know, don't be don't be completely will like like we said earlier. It's good to throw away things that just don't work, but just because you hit a point where you think it doesn't work, you haven't necessarily written something that doesn't work just yet. You you, you know, it's it's entirely possible that you could write something where there's just you just don't see a way out of it. You definitely don't want to delete the whole story over that, but, you, you know, you might have to backtrack and say, okay, I'm going to have to get rid of this page and come up with a new idea. But for the most part, I've never run into anything where I absolutely could not come up with a reason to make things work. Not once in, you know, 25 years of writing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Uh, what, what what else is a, is a good way of uh, punching? Th oh, punching you, you know what? Uh, since since we are on that subject, it's also important to remember that when you hit that wall, you know that's a part mm -hmm. of the story you're going to really remember. And so, any ideas that it, it come later in the story, you know that one wall that you think you've hit is probably going to give you really really good ideas to add to the rest of the story. Mm, Just because you, point, you yeah. spent so much time thinking about it and thinking about how you make it work that it's like, well, wait a minute. So if this happens, now I can make this happen later in the story. It, it kind of like it's kind of like a timeline break where where someone goes back in time and changes something, and so now you've got this whole different future uh, ahead of you. Just tendrils everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, what what else can you do to punch up a story? I mean. I mean, it's tough because, like, in, in, in a written medium, you can't create jump scares, right? You can't shock someone by showing them words that are... that you, can, you can't suddenly sneak up on someone with words that easily. You turn the page, boo. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, a, like, a, like, like some kind of, like, zombie gif or something like that. Yeah. Or not... Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do that. That's, don't, don't put that in a book. That's bad. Jump scares aren't... Are... <laughs> Jump scares aren't good for much of anything. Uh, I mean, they have their place, well, they, they, but they 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 work when they're built up to, yes. right? Like, um, like I mean, there are jump scares. There there are things that are effectively jump scares in Alien, but they're built up to in such a way that they aren't just disconnected loud sounds and shocking visuals, right? Like, yeah, like the 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 the, the you know in Alien when uh, when uh, what's his name Kane gets you know gets the the thing on his face. It's like. He, 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 like, sees the egg, and the egg opens, and he's like, well, I, mean, I guess I should take a look at it. And then he sticks his face into it, which is kind of stupid, but also kind of like, well, I mean, like, curiosity killed the cat, right? And then it, you know, there's, like, like it jumping out of, the, out of the egg onto his face is, like, three frames. That's a jump scare. Yeah. But, it, like, it's, it's a very good jump scare. But it, it's also the important part in, okay, so, so this is a chase is better than the catch kind of thing. You want to build the tension in these stories. It's yeah. kind of like uh Okay, so so it's like part 1 syndrome is what I like to call it because I've seen a lot of Ooh. things where the first part where it builds up to all the amazing things that are happening is you usually better than the uh the second part which is which may contain the climax but often feels like the falling action just because it's like okay, well the build up and the uh payoff 
was at the end of part one, and so now we're just going to see how it all plays out. Yeah. Building tension is is key to making anyone care about any kind of uh, any kind of thing that is similar to a jump scare. Like you can have those moments where something really crazy happens, but if you have done nothing to make anyone feel a sense of tension before it happens, then it's just going to come off as, oh well, okay, well now there's now there's this alien jumping out of this thing on this guy's face. Oh my god, what are we all going to do? It it doesn't feel special. Like there's there's parts in every story that are more important than others, that, that feel more special than the rest of the story. Usually, the scene where everyone's sitting around at the table and alien talking is a good scene, but it's not, it's not the special scene that really sells the movie. It, it's, it's the moments like when the tension is built up before the alien jumps on the guy's face. It's stuff like that. Yeah. You know, you're, you're in this creepy atmosphere, you've got this guy that's poking around, you know that something's going to happen and it's probably going to be something bad. But you don't know what's going to happen yet. You don't know how it's going to happen, and you. Well, so they 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 do that by having false scares, right? So, like for instance, there's that first time that they start exploring, looking for the alien, and they have the they have the motion sensor, and it, it you know the motion sensor is picking something up, and you know they find it, you know it, oh it's inside a it's inside this this um this locker, and so they pull open the locker and there's a cat in there, right? Yeah. But then then the next time you know. Now they've got the so so there's a mixture there. You're kind of like mixing in elements where where they are where the characters themselves are kind of working themselves up into attention as well. When there's no there's no real justification for there to be attention, but the characters think that there is. If that makes sense, it does, and that actually reminds me of uh, a lot of the bad ways to build tension. So mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone's everyone who's watched any number of horror movies has probably seen uh they 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 do a scene where there's one character who is just irrationally afraid before anything's even really happened and they like go into a panic or run off somewhere and it's just like nothing even we don't even know there's an alien here yet dude we just heard some rattling somewhere it could have been the wind (laughs) don't don't expect anyone to really love any scene like that when you create false tension where well, like, someone panics for no yeah, reason yeah i mean the, the the characters should it's it's way better to have the characters like it's way better to have the characters push through their fear than it is for them to succumb to it well not necessarily like like i all i'm talking about is the characters who are afraid before there's any reason that any real human being would ever be afraid Oh sure. It's it's more like if you're going to have a character that freaks out and is afraid, and I mean, because this happens in in like the second Alien movie. There's the the guy that uh, wait, is it Alien? I'm thinking of. I I don't know. Well, whatever the case is, you you'll have a you'll have a scene where something crazy is happening, and so someone freaks out, and their freak out causes bigger problems because they like maybe they lock a door or they they run off with something that the rest of the the movie needed. Crew needs the rest of the crew yeah. needed. But then there's movies like, like, I remember we talked about Alien Covenant, when that woman just like... Go, 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 go check out that half-blind review, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I have no difficulty saying that about something that we did. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It, it, it's a fun <laughs> review. It was, uh, Alien Covenant is not a movie. I, that's on YouTube, yes. right? Yes. It, I should know this, I think it's on my channel. <laughs> it, it is on your channel, but yeah. It's, we'll, Alien I'll Covenant it. is not a movie, yeah, you can link to it. But there's a whole scene where there is freaky stuff going on, 
But this woman who's a doctor who has locked the alien into a room then proceeds to grab a, what was it, a flamethrower or a gun? I can't even remember now. It was some kind of weapon. Yeah, and, yeah. and she's like on their spaceship, which is their lifeline to getting off of this planet, and she just runs away screaming, firing into the darkness on the ship until the ship explodes. And it's just like, this is not how you... you this this isn't tension. This is, this is not something that a reasonable person would this do. This isn't something an unreasonable not... person would do. <laughs> Like, there was every reason, that, that woman had every reason to be frightened out of her mind and to run off of that ship, maybe grab a weapon on her way out. But there was no reason for her to stay right at the entrance to the ship and start firing at the ship into the darkness, where she didn't even know if anything was behind her because she had locked it in a door. Well, what if she was attacking the darkness? She, she was attacking the darkness, and that's silly, and so she died for it. But it, all that did was create a situation where the rest of the crew couldn't get off of the planet because that ship exploded, and it it didn't make any sense for that to happen. Like, like and it's it, like the writers. Okay, so this is this is the problem where where you you sit down, and you need to come up with reasons for things to happen. You, yeah. I, when I say writing, when I say writing yourself out of the corner, I I do not mean things like this where it's just like, well, I'll just have someone blow up the ship. And then I, then I don't have to worry about, well, how does the ship get blown up? That's, that's silly. You, you, you should have good reasons for things that happen. You know, every... This, this character becomes temporarily insane. Yes. That pushes the plot forward. And, and if you're going to do stuff like that, you have, to, you have to make it clear that the character was insane from, from, like, some point before that. You have to, like, show in their head, like... I swear to God, I'll blow up this spaceship. I don't care about the rest of these people. I'm a mad person. You, you have to, like, show that at some point before yeah. you just have them do it. Because you can have crazy characters that do things that, to everyone else, it's going to look like they did it for no reason. I mean, that's basically what the modern Joker from Batman is, you know. But, but mm-hmm. people know that that's his character. So, so if you actually create a character that you, gives, the, gives the impression to the viewer or reader that they might snap and blow up a spaceship just to screw everyone else or whatever. You can do that. Just don't think that you're writing yourself out of anything if your solution is to just make things happen. Yeah, actually th- actually think about your solutions. Don't don't just go with the first thing that you think of necessarily. Like give it a little let it simmer a little bit. Put it like this, there's a reason these Hollywood strikes are happening right now and people are sick of movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a reason that these Hollywood strikes are happening and nobody cares yeah, yeah. anymore. <laughs> I think... So tension building is important. Another important thing is there's a... I don't know. I don't want to talk about the whole books being written for Netflix thing again. We did that last episode. And, we, we did that already. Yeah. That's fine. That, that's, not, that's not punching it up. That's just... Well, I mean, you, that's, you that's, to... that's, that's, that's fitting it into a template, which is not what you want to do. Yeah, you ha- you have to take the things that you have in your story and say, well, what are the characteristics that these things I'm putting into the story have, and how can I make them livelier? So, uh, let's see, am I going to have to stretch and bring in my... I'm going to have to reference my own stories again. So... <laughs> No, I don't want to keep doing that. Do you have any? Do you have any stories where it's just like you had a good idea for you know a character trait and it ended up playing a really fun part in the story? I mean, so I guess. Well, like, yeah. So, so in in my first novella, I have the character Lou, and one of his one of his quirks is that he's very like paranoid about getting sucked out into space. 
And so, like, he always wears his pressure suit, even when, like, everything's just normal and everyone's fine. And everybody just sees it as kind of like a harmless quirk of his. But I actually worked that quirk into my second novella, where basically everybody go, everybody um, gets exposed to something that causes them to hallucinate, but he doesn't because of this of this behavior of his. And so, like, he basically ends up because of this irrational fear that he has. He he basically ends up uh, in a position where he's the only one who can really save everybody from from what's going on. And so that plays into the story in that way. Is that what you're looking for? Something yeah, like that? that's exactly what I was thinking. And I actually didn't notice that from that first to second story. But uh, now I know. And yeah, I mean, I mentioned it in the start of the I mentioned it in the start of the second story as well. But like, it, it's it's fairly subtle. And uh, so like, but but it does result in the in in the in the plot moving in that direction. And, and give it gave me an out because it was like, well, wait, you know, this stuff is airborne. Everybody's breathing it in. It, it's like slow to it's like slow to act, but like once it starts acting, it kind of blurs the lines of of like reality and fantasy. And I was like, how do I how do I prevent all of my characters from just getting swallowed up into this? And it was like, oh right, he's he always wears his pressure suit. There we go. Yeah, and it's amazing how things can sometimes work out that well for you. Yeah, well, I mean, like it's one of those things where, like, actually writing down. At, or, or like having a, a a clear concrete view of what a se- several of of se- several traits for each character is something that um that that I think is you know it's it's obvious to say that it's important but I'm just going to underline that it's important that you that you have that you have in mind some traits of the character and don't just go with the flow necessarily like um one of the things I always do when I'm creating a character is I is I talk is I is I think about I think about how good their sense of humor is. And like I don't write a lot of jokes in my stories, but like every character I have written down how they react to jokes or what kinds of jokes they like or maybe they don't have a sense of humor at all or or stuff like that. And it almost never comes up, but it's there if I need it. Cuz like if I'm trying to like punch things up, I might add someone making a sarcastic comment or something like that. And then I need to know how everybody's going to react to it, and and have be that have that be consistent too. So like, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, it, well, it's it's good to have. You definitely want to know what your characters are. You don't have to know everything about them because sometimes no, no, no. I mean, like I, I usually try to cut it to like four or five lines of text. You know, physical description. You know, any particular you know quirks of of their appearance. You know, kind of their their. What what sets of skills they have, but I always include that little that little sense of humor thing because it it helps me humanize the characters a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's there, there, there's a lot of people that I see trying to write characters, and they will just spend hours and hours and hours trying to get every little detail of a character right, and then they write their story, and because they don't have any wiggle room for like evolving the character throughout the story, they've they they don't they won't deviate from that a lot of times uh they tend to have very bland characters mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. i mean it's not impossible to have good characters that way but some people just like some people are very very strict about it because they well so you have to you have to you have to you have to, you have to like chart the right course between having the character how they were at the start and how they are at the middle of the story and how they are at the end of the story right like 
you know, you if if you if you if you write down all these traits of the character in stone, that means that you're not thinking about how they change as much. And so, you know, the the the, the more detail you create, the 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 harder it gets to to push those details in new directions sometimes. Yeah. Well, okay, so like I know like one of the challenges I'm having right now, which is really fun, is I'm doing a short story with characters that I had written a book about. And this particular character is a little bit tricky because in the book, it was clear-cut everything that I needed to do with this character. She was there to be afraid and to be in awe of other characters around her that were, you know, either legitimate threats to the lives of her and all those around her or just really amazing people that could do things that she could never hope to do. But by the mm-hmm. end of the book, she could be counted among them. She, she, uh, she gains all these abilities, you know, she becomes a vampire and then she becomes part werewolf and then she gets a robot arm and it's just like all these bad things keep happening to her. But the culmination of all of the bad things is that, oh, well, she's actually not just this scared little girl from a town anymore. And so now I'm writing a short story that's a bit of a spin-off of that. And she's already she she's not like really afraid of too much anymore. Or she doesn't have a reason to be. Like she still sees herself as a coward, but she doesn't really get afraid of the same things anymore. And and mm-hmm. so I have I have to write her with that in mind. I can't just have her be like shivering in fear while everyone else is doing everything now. And uh and, and, you know, she went from following around a vampire that had killed her family to kind of being friends with this vampire. Mm-hmm. So so it's like a different dynamic that I'm doing with the uh, the short story version now. And, you know, yeah. there, there's a couple of things I had to do that I don't normally like to do. Like, I, I had to do a couple of paragraphs of explaining, like, why she has a robot arm just so she could, you know, you know use it. With a grappling hook. Well, I didn't get to the grappling hook yet. I'm not sure if I'm going to actually do anything with that or not, but that was <laughs> that was one of my favorite running gags in the book. <laughs> oh yeah. She has an irrational hatred of grappling hooks for it's just like it made her angry to see someone using a grappling hook as a weapon. And then I just like kept making references to grappling hooks and then her robot arm she found out after have having had the arm for a while, she realized that it had a grappling hook. <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's like you've got a character that you've already developed and now you have to do different things with them and so you can't just write the same character anymore. Right. I mean, but you also don't want them do to be the, you don't want them to be something else either. They still have to be themselves because people don't really become a completely different character because they've changed in a book. Well, like people try to do that and it doesn't work out very well because the, the character becomes un like unrealistic not, not unrealistic but like unbelievable, I guess would be a better way to put it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, well, so when we were talking about the the last theorem, it's like, it's like, it was like, yeah, so they tortured him. Uh Uh-huh. And he's cool with that. What do you mean? What? (laughs) And then he gets, and then he gets, then he gets the the access to the journals that he always wanted his whole life. Uh Uh-huh. And then he's bored. Wait, what? You you know, stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's really weird when people can't get anything about a character right. It's it's just like, you wrote the character. You should know who this person is. How? This person is a piece of you. I mean, it's okay to forget things once in a while about your own characters. I mean, that happens. Well, but... well characters forget things. Yeah. That's, that's also a thing, so... But, but, like, just writing a character that's one way one day, and then a completely different way, and then there's no explanation. Like, like even 
even characters that you've written an entire story about are still going to somewhat be the same character when mm-hmm. you write the next story. They've just uh, they've just grown. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else to add about punching things up? Yeah. You know, I. I'm having one of the moments where I'm not sure we really nailed a lot of punching things up, but uh, maybe we can. I mean, we ha- I think we threw a little a couple ideas out there, which is probably. I, I mean, the thing about the thing about pun- punching things up is that it depends very specifically on your particular skills at the time. But like, I think that I think that the message, the overall message, is don't be afraid to do things. Like, like don't don't be afraid to try to think of a way to get out of that corner that you think you're in. Don't be afraid to you know, cut your story into two pieces and create a, a serpentine path between those two edges. Don't be afraid to, you know, add jokes. Don't be afraid to have a character change. Don't be afraid, you know, it's going to depend a lot on individual stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping this is just kind of like a, like a, like a popcorn idea kind of thing for people to, to kind of like start their own journey on, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too too wishy-washy about it. Well, let me try to give an example. Let me let me try to give an example sure. of like the simpler end of punching it up. And you know, you don't necessarily need a character that's bombastic about everything they do to be punching it up. You don't you don't need you don't need to Michael Bay everything well, well, and have explosions. Well, well, and, well, and, and, and and you don't need to over snark everything too. Like like hey now. But like I mean no. <laughs> well no, I mean like if you have characters that are professionals they are not going to respond to everything with a yeah right. They're going to get the freaking job done. Oh, the Marvel effect, yeah. Yeah. So, so like you know, it's 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 okay to have a little banter here and there, but at the same time, you know, there are places there there need to be places where there isn't banter as well. I mean, I mean, I suppose you could make a character. If you if you were to make a character whose response to any statement is to snark at it, that will be seen as a very annoying character unless it is very well done. And so just beware of, of having of of having people having people in like a professional setting respond to each other as if they're like in a Reddit battle. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's take a simple example of punching it up. So sure. you have a character that's going to be in this story, whatever it is, horror story, mystery, hard crime drama. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but you have a character, and you know maybe it's just like this this character isn't as exciting or interesting as you would like the character to be. It's it's not that hard to make a character more interesting with these stupidest little things. So you let's take this character. It's going to be just some female girl, female girl type person, female. Um, well, I don't remember what that's I, three. Yeah, there you go. So three three negatives make a positive. So that's not true. Uh, <laughs> No, so, so you've got like what I was trying to say was a teenage girl, not a female girl. <laughs> you got you got a teenage oh, okay. girl. Okay, that makes a little more sense. You got a teenage girl in the story. You know, where where's a hoodie all the time? And let's say that like at the beginning of the story, you, you know, this is how you're going to punch it up. Dumbest thing, she has like a little patch she sees in the store, and it's like a cute bunny patch, and she puts it on her sweater. And you can you can use that one act to establish through the rest of the story that she kind of like is drawn to these cute little things and it's like ooh i she, she like she like maybe gets distracted by something uh that she sees in a window and misses something important going on around her uh you know you, you have a reason for her to to miss something that if she had caught would have made it for a much shorter story 
Or in addition to that, you have reasons for her to react to things yes, in a specific yes. way. Like instead of instead of her reaction being mundane and just to, to move the prose along, you now have her reaction to someone telling her something or showing her something is you know she she mentions in her own head you know how that relates to what's going on in the story, but she like amplifies the part where she's like, and I really liked this uh, the little thing that she had on her purse or something like that, just something that adds flavor to the character as you're going through the story and, you know, establishes yeah. something about them that the reader can latch on to. There, there's no end of stories that I've read where there will be 20 characters, and by the end of the story, I have no idea who was who. Yeah, Sometimes yeah, yeah. even because the names are so bland that I, I can't remember who it was that did what. Um, you know, but little things like that are enough to punch up a story sometimes. Yeah, I mean, if it's those little, it's those little touches. People will see those little touches, and they, they work really well sometimes. You know, if they're if they're done reasonably well and not like over, like like they have to be little touches. They they you don't want to like overextend the effect on a character, but those little people notice details, and for some reason, you know, having knowing that this character likes rabbits is like it, it helps to make them you know like the character more or or be able to understand how to put themselves in that character's shoes more i guess would be another way to put it i mean that that single element of storytelling is one of the reasons why manga is destroying most comics in the world these days oh interesting just like you have characters that have not i mean they they can even be bland characters but they have you know some like one little interest that separates them from everyone else that makes them yeah. memorable I believe the word is moe. <laughs> <laughs> let's not get into that yeah, topic. Today. <laughs> we, we, can, we can save that one. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna steer clear of that one. Don't worry, people. Mo- moe is don't, not don't... necessarily what I just described, but yeah. <laughs> no, but there, there is an element of. I mean, look up the term moe blob, and and you'll get why this is hilarious. Yeah, moe can actually be the exact opposite of punching it up sometimes. Yes, like like. A girl who likes bunny patches and and likes cute things and notices them more than other things is that's a character trait. A girl who has a flower in her hair just has a flower in her hair. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, I think uh, I think this is pretty good. Yeah, I, I think I mean Let's... that's the best example I can come up with for punching it up that would describe what we mean without getting into like giving superheroes special powers and how the powers work and. Well, I mean, we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about superpowers and and stuff like that in another episode in the future. So don't worry about that. Are we? That's, is that on our list? Uh, I mean, so we, we're going to probably do an episode on hard versus soft magic, and superpowers are like a form of uh, magic in, 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 from a structural perspective in a story. I so yes, I'm going to have to refrain from referencing my own stories when we get to that one because I. Th- think i have why refrain like 500 superhero i have enough superhero characters in my stories that i could replace all of dc why contain it because <laughs> i'll never shut up i love talking about my stories well it's all right because i can just cut all that out when yeah. i do yeah. <laughs> yeah. just just replace it with uh, with, uh... <laughs> well so i'll have like a little i'll have like a little elevator jingle and i'll be like and then he talked for 45 minutes straight about his about some character in a book that nobody's read. <laughs> I haven't even published most of those. <laughs> I know, right? The superhero thing kind of waned off. I just have them kind of sitting there. 
one of, that's one of their superpowers. Yeah, they're they're largely unknown. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this I think this is a pretty good place to call it for episode six. I I hope somebody gets something out of this. We kind of were a little bit a little bit seat of the pants here, but uh you know, part of the creative process is is being seat of the pants. Letting it happen. Yes. But not letting it happen, so. especially when you're dealing with the seat of the pants. That's see, I went right back to that joke. Right back. <laughs> right back to it. Right back to it. All right, well, uh, episode six, Wordy Pair, thanks for watching, thanks for listening. Any final thoughts? Yeah, we're terrible at introductions. We uh, we did it five times in a row, and uh, you stopped doing the I'm Rudy and I'm Justin thing, so I, I just... Well, I mean, you know, we don't need to do it every single time, so, you know, that works too. Yeah, I, now, I'm, not big on, someone... I'm not big on, on fixed structures well, 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 in my podcast, so it's cool. Yeah, it's fine. I, I mean, like... I figured we should definitely put it in like the first few episodes, and we should definitely do it once in a while. But eventually, if if you go into a podcast and it's episode seventy, and they're like, "Hello, my name is Professor Blah Blah Blah, and I am Professor Blah Blah Blah," it's like, I mean, yeah, no, no, I, I get that. Look, I, I do not by, by the point, yeah, by the time you get to the, like the seventieth episode, you should have a website that has your <laughs> names and pictures. <laughs> I'm not going to restrict myself to the three by five. Uh, I, I messed it up. I had a joke there. The three by five card of allowable content structure. We're not. We're not going to stick yes. to that. We're not going to stick to that because that is not our way. We are the wordy pair. We See are the world. We are the writers. I. We are Justin and Rudy. Good night. Good night. for listening to the wordy pair podcast our passion is all things writing world building and getting into the weird and wonderful world of fiction we hope you enjoyed our unique takes if you did make sure to like rate review and subscribe to get your weekly dose of writing weirdness we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on twitter for rudy it's at rudolph underscore cone and for justin at ninja mouse chew see you next time on the wordy pair podcast <laughs>